Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. to the Liberate Yourself podcast, where we are discussing beautiful ideas and metaphysical ways to cultivate personal sovereignty in these transitional times. My guest today is the lovely Helen Lowe. Helen is a storyteller, having used many different mediums throughout her life, and she currently holds space for individuals and groups to share their stories through the power of community and her own innovative translation of the ancient Enneagram system. Our conversation was a real pleasure as we touched on topics specific to our energetic and vibrational wellness in this transitional space we collectively are in. So let's get to it. Helen, thank you for joining me and sharing this space with me. I feel really honored and pleased. So you are a storyteller that has used many mediums over the years and I'd love for you to share how you're currently using your gift of story with others and a little bit about what led you to this place. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for asking me to be here. It's quite an honor. And, um, you know, you ask a storyteller to to tell a story Mm. about themselves and there's a moment of, ah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I can remember from a really young age wondering how we got here and what we were doing here. And and remembering, I remember someone said, you know, God created everything. And I thought, well, if God created everything, then who created God? How does that go? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it seems like my journey has been about discovery. And I'm I'm hungry, I sometimes say voracious, to learn and to have just a myriad different experiences. Um, and and what I, I'm drawn to are the stories of of our lives, of our of our world, of our creation. And so I've participated in stories in all kinds of ways from I thought for sure I was going to be an actor and that's what I studied in my undergraduate degree and then I thought I was going to be a filmmaker and actually I was for a while and I I got my master's in film in Los Angeles and did that for nearly a decade and then I started uh, telling stories I came to Seattle it was a calling I didn't know what on earth I would do there and I had this notion that I was going to tell stories and it was going to do something to do with the internet and this was 2000 when you know back when Amazon was still not making any money yeah (laughs) which is hard to believe. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I started telling stories online, working with the startup and telling stories online. And that turned into organizational storytelling. And that took me all over the world, the country and the world, telling different people's stories, mo- mostly creating multimedia with that. Um, but sometimes just coming back to the organization I was working with and telling, telling people, telling the funders, like, this is what your money's doing. This is what your investments are doing out in the world. And then at some point, um, my, my personal trajectory that kind of wasn't, wasn't 
so much my professional trajectory of really deeply looking into these questions and trying to find answers in different mystical traditions and different psychological traditions and cognitive traditions. And I got really caught up in some of them and just passed through others. They started to just come together organically. And storytelling was a medium that helped me to bring people together um, for groups and such. So I started to host women's, at the time it was just women, I was focused on writing circles and how do we just tell what stories are in us without any kind of um, self-consciousness, not being embarrassed about our mind, not be embarrassed about the stories we make up. And that's really a breakthrough. I witnessed how the power of story and the power of sharing ourselves in, in just a container of deep presence was mm-hmm. transformational. People were having all kinds of really profound experiences and the groups would get so close so fast. Yeah. Um, and story brought us together. And the power of, I would imagine the power of having our story being heard. That's precisely it. That's precisely it. Being heard and seen and understood and related to and engaged with and realizing, because there's something really powerful about getting our story outside of our head, right? Like when we share, it's able to, to commingle with others' energy and I feel like expand beyond, you know, just our singular perception of it. Yeah, I think that's well, I think that's well said. And I think stories are an energy and they started somewhere. There was something that happened. There was an event that happened and the energy was set in motion. And if we don't tell our stories, if we don't share what our experience is, even if it's just with ourselves, that energy gets blocked and it causes all kinds of constrictions and illnesses, um, mental, emotional, physical in our system. And so just being able to be heard, be witnessed, creates a container for the energy to move on. And it can just, then we don't have to hold on to our stories. Then we can let them go. You know, there are people that say like, oh, I'm tired of my stories and we shouldn't give voice to our stories because they're just stories. And it's like, well, yeah, but if you don't give voice to what's true, what's here for now, it'll keep hanging on. Yeah, it keeps repeating itself like in a tape loop narrative, yeah. right? Exactly. And part of, yeah, part of breaking out of that tape loop is is sharing it and even getting others' perspective on it. That's really beautiful. So how does that, how does the work you're doing now take shape, you know, on a daily or weekly basis? How are you working with people to, you know, share their story? Well, Thank you for asking. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of different ways. So I can still work with organizations, um, often organizations that are in a place where they're trying to discern what their story is. Um, But I work at a much smaller scale than I used to. It's very personal. I I have this sense, I write about this in my blog that, and and somewhere on my website, how the the 2016 election Mm -hmm. changed everything. Mm-hmm. And um, it seemed to me that we couldn't we couldn't be content. I couldn't be content to be kind of in the background anymore and hold my personal stuff as my personal stuff. It mm-hmm. really had to come out. I had to lead with my deepest heart calling, mm-hmm. and and so that's how I invite I, I invite people to 
to consider their businesses that way, even if it's a more traditional business. Yeah. Um, whatever your work is, if you're a healer or you're an artist or you're a small business owner of any kind or a, a moderate business owner, <clears throat> it's really important to bring not only your heart, but have the courage to invite that of all the people that you work with and possibly employ. Um, so I work with uh, organizational leaders to help them articulate what are they up to as a leader. Uh, and then um, we can even create experiences that we're th- we then bring in the team and we can work with the team and, and find out, just give space for people to just share what's up for them and make a, make a different kind of container for an organization. Mm-hmm. I also work with individuals to help them discern what is it that I'm up to, whether they are fully established in their career or wanting to change careers or any, anywhere on the spectrum, anywhere on the spectrum. Um, I'll invite people to into a series of about 30 something questions and we explore that together. And then, you know, we can create marketing materials or whatever out of that. We can, we can use words to tell the story, but first you have to understand and feel what the story is in your body. So that's exactly, that's one way I work with people. That's kind uh, of similar to when I was a, a brand designer still, you know, sometimes am, I love a questionnaire. I love like getting the real story behind a person's intentions and their, their dreams and their direction with, with their, their brand and their business and what their, the real, you know, it's called the why behind what they're doing. So yeah, that, that sounds like really beautiful work, a really great way to approach it. Well, what's interesting too, is, you know, at one point I, I got these questions came about from lots of different points of inspiration and I used them on myself Mm -hmm. uh, back when creative catalyst was just this niggly thing in the back of my head and it didn't have a life of its own. And I was doing this other or bigger organization work. I was struggled with it. Like, do I just give people the questions? But my experience was, no, they need to be asked the questions um, directly, whether that be online or even on the phone or in person. Um, because what happens is it lets them stay in the space. They can even keep their eyes closed. They just answer the question and I just hold space in the silence. You just wait to see what comes next and what comes next. Cause often the first response is it. And often the first response is not it. There's more and more and more. Sometimes mm-hmm. the first response is that quote story, you know, yeah, the, the old stuff. And then what's really here needs a little more space to come through. Yeah, I found that myself, that doing it in person and holding space is really valuable um, because then it does, it feels, it, it feels like you're, again, not with yourself, like you're actually sharing it and expanding it with a person. And I agree, the questions I would ask, I knew that they were just kind of catalysts to get to something else, you know, and spin off from there. Exactly. So that's how you work with individuals to to bring their story out. Yeah, yeah. And I can also work with, with organizations in trying to tell a story. Like I worked with a, a group of physicians several years ago now that family physicians were having a heck of a time with healthcare changes and their, their role, their value wasn't seen or understood in the, in the context of all these specialties. And so I worked with a group of them on a half day retreat and we just created space for them to tell the story of the value of a family physician. And it was really beautiful work. Wow. And no one had ever 
kind of created space for them to do that before. Uh, it was really beautiful what can what can come through. But also, story gets woven into my work with groups in other more subtle ways. What I'm really loving right now is what I call sacred anatomy, uh, and it's work that I've come to kind of slowly and all at once how, how that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it's really inviting people into the a creation story and the journey of a soul in this kind of micro cosmic level of an individual human being, mm-hmm. but also the macro cosmic level of the journey of the individuation of a universe or mm-hmm. planet and spending a day or a weekend together in the big questions and looking at the science from a more meditative, contemplative, mystical perspective uh, is really enjoyable. And it's a, it's a huge joke because, you know, I've become so enamored with sacred geometry and geometry is like one of the things that almost kept me from graduating high school. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've barely passed. It's all about uh, context, right? <laughs> that's it. I remember... I remember asking people, my teachers, like, help me understand why this matters. I didn't get it. Yeah. And I was with a group doing this just a, a few weekends ago. And I thought, boy, if I had a teacher that explained science and mathematics to me like this back then, I wonder, you know. Right. Hopefully that's where we're heading. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of sacred geometry, would you like to segue into your work with the Enneagram and talk about that because that's what I'm really interested in for Mm -hmm. sure that's Mm -hmm. it's um the Enneagram system is something that has come to me uh recently maybe in the past six months and I feel like it was extremely validating and a huge relief in in so many ways it and of course, I want you to talk about it. I just wanted to share a little bit about why I wanted you to to speak on it, because it can really be a turning point. And, and you use it to help people tell the positive story of themselves, correct? So true, yes, which feels really important. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll just take a step back and say something about the Enneagram for people who don't know anything. Yes, please. Have no idea what we're talking about. So the Enneagram is a nine pointed symbol uh, enclosed in a circle. And three of the points are an equilateral triangle. And then the other six points kind of make almost a crown shape, if you will. the mythology, the history, we don't really know for sure. It's <laughs> super, it's like one of the most mysterious systems there are. <laughs> like more than astrology. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The The story goes that a man named Gurdjieff, who is a, a mystic um, who was traveling the world back in the last century, looking for kind of the answers to the great mysteries of being, found himself in all through the Middle East. I don't know how far east he got and discovered in some hidden society group. We don't know for sure. He found this form and he brought it back and used it as a system of movement. And he he really saw the sacredness in in the geometry and the mathematics. And he had nothing to do with personality. And I'll speed ahead a little bit. Mm-hmm. can look into it more if they want more detail. But basically what happened is someone took it who was also kind of more from the Christian tradition and 
saw it as the seven deadly sins plus two. And so actually the birth of the Enneagram of personality as we know it kind of comes from this perspective of what's wrong with us. The birth of it in the West? In yes. Way. Okay. Yes. yes. Gotcha. The, the, well, the birth of the Enneagram of personality. Because I see. Because in the East, it wasn't anything about personality as best we can tell. I see. It, it was a mystical symbol. I think it was basically a key of some kind. Yes. A code of some kind. Mm-hmm. Psychologists came along and developed a whole system. They, and there's a lot of witnessing in it. And there's a lot of research in it. There's a lot of truth in it. And they, they discern these nine personalities, what started off as these nine sins, so to speak, or shadows, if you will, turned into nine personalities. And it's evolved from that. But what's really remarkable is there really do seem to be, you know, nine primary categories of personality energy. And uh, it, but it, it's very much like astrology, that mm-hmm. there are these energies that have some kind of influence in how we operate as human beings in the world. So I was introduced to this about, I don't know, 20 years ago or so, and was really interested in it, but never fully took it forward. I would use it with people. I could see the energies operating in people. Um, I could help people see the energy themselves, I would maybe recommend some reading and kind of leave it at that. But there were these cards brewing in me, I knew I wanted to create some cards. And it's really been quite recently, just the end toward the end of last year that I started to give birth to these cards. And in doing so, what I've discovered is that the form of the Enneagram um, seems to want to be evolved. It's at least my intuitive wisdom mm-hmm. is that so the form wants to evolve and so do our personalities. It's time yes. to evolve our personalities. That definitely correlates with, I feel like, you know, moving us, the procession of the equinoxes and moving into the age of Aquarius as opposed to the age of Pisces that was very heavily centered on religion and essentially, you know, one person or organization as gatekeeper to the divine and then moving into the age of Aquarius where, you know, it's more of a collective energy and sovereign being energy for all of us. It makes a lot of sense that if it started out from the, the context of the Western uh, Christian tradition, then yes, it would be evolving along with everything else. I don't know. I just wanted to interject that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's time to evolve. And, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that anything that's happened before is bad or wrong. Yes. Uh, And what I'm suggesting with the Enneagram is not that we bypass shadow. Shadow absolutely exists. Mm -hmm. And what I think shadow is, our shadows, our challenges are not in our way, they are the way. Mm -hmm. And if we focus on them as a problem that we have to get rid of, it's like what we were saying before. If it, it, It's like we keep our story in place by not telling our story. Mm-hmm. We also keep a, a, our story in place if we think that that's it. Yes. <laughs> we think that that is reality. Right. And that's all that, that is reality. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I've been giving some thought lately to 
the, that exact role of, of shadow work. And I feel like sometimes, yes, we can, if you focus on it for too long with that, it, you can't, it's not about getting rid of it. You can't get rid of anything. The whole point of, you know, say personal alchemy is to go in and, and do and shadow work, you know, as Jung laid it out was to go in, recognize it, become aware of that story and then transmute it, change, literally change that energy and channel it into, you know, integrate it into the person to become a more whole version of yourself. Yeah, I, I am with you. I'm, I'm glad that you made that clarification that um, telling a more, using the Enneagram for, to tell a more positive story is not about bypassing the, the shadow. So I am glad that it does, because it's difficult, it, it can be difficult when you first get started, because it brings up really deep, deep subconscious things about yourself that you know, but you weren't, that just aren't integrated, but that are very true and are kind of harsh truths to, you know, begin to accept about yourself, but it's very, very healing in that it has a very healing path that it suggests to you. Would you agree with that? Oh, I totally agree. I think all, all you said, I agree with. Yeah, I remember when I first identified myself. What are you? A, I, well, you know, type three. I also, I, I was horrified. You know, I could mm -hmm. recognize it and I was embarrassed. Yes. And I was, I was with a cohort of, of, of friends and we were all doing somatic psychology at the time with Katie and Gay Hendricks. This is about 20 years ago. And I remember I, I was trying to hide like mm. the, the, the quote shadow of three as if, right. Yeah. <laughs> as if we could hide who, who we're operating as, you know, it's, it's here to be discovered and to be learned. And, and actually that was a beautiful, safe environment to play with some of this stuff. Um, and when we made it a big game and that, that was really helpful, but still there is this focus on shadow. And I think if it's not at least equally, held with the light, then it can do more harm than good. It can create actually lots of shame and shut people down and make people not terribly interested in looking. And I don't think the Enneagram is for everybody. It's, you know, it's come to it only if you're drawn to it. And what a shame if, if we don't explore something we're interested in because we think it makes us bad or wrong. You yeah. Know? I think it's really about redemption. Some of the some of the texts I've found or the books I've found focus on the redemption of it, which is the re the redemption of those behaviors, which is you know really healing mm -hmm. and helpful. Go, going back to it's not they're not in the way they are the way they're actually how we cultivate our gifts. So if we don't come in with a narrative that like part of part of the way I hold the work is from a soul perspective. So from a soul perspective, we come in and we're separated from a sense of wholeness. And what happens in that sense of separation from wholeness is a lot happens. A lot of, gets constructed, including these feelings of anger and grief and fear and trying to recognize those 
feelings and give them space is actually in following the thread can actually bring us back to the wholeness. I had a really brilliant teacher once who said when speaking about de developmental work, like how, you know, children learn to individuate from their parents and that place where they go away and then they come back and they go away and they come back and, and that forming healthy attachments. And he said, you know, fear is not, is not a feeling of separation. It's actually a feeling of separation. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. The provocation is that fear lets us know that we've gone away from something yes. and it sends us back, right? So it sends the child back for comfort mm -hmm. um, when you're talking about the developmental development of a human being. But what it does for us as human beings writ large and as adults is our fear reminds us that we've separated from our sense of wholeness and our sense of being source mm -hmm. or the aspect of source. And so actually the fear and the anger and the grief just are a beautiful opportunity to bring us back. Mm -hmm. Many would say that you know, we come into this, if you want to talk dimensionality, we come into this, you know, more dense third dimension to, in order to learn about, because we, you know, if you're in this paradigm came from source and we come into this dimension in this life in order to learn about separation, the, the wisdom that is found in separation, not separation from source, but the the amount of contrast that we can feel. And so, yeah, that's really beautiful. I like thinking about it that way, that we're not being punished. We're not, it's not supposed to be a struggle. It's a, it's a learning ground, right? And it's our greatest teacher, I feel. And that's what I feel the Enneagram really did for me. Cause I'm a, I, I'm a type one, which was just very revelatory. The reformer is what it's called a lot of times, but just knowing that there was this really harsh inner critic that I had, that I had. And I recognize that was my thing that I was kind of like, maybe not shameful about, but just realizing and waking up to, Oh, that isn't reality. Reality isn't this harsh something that's like criticizing every single thing that I do and it's never, ever, ever good enough, but all you want to be is good enough. All you want to be is good, but there's this part of you that's telling you it's never good enough. And, and the, the tension between that, like I said, just revelatory and so healing and a huge relief, just relief. I think that this is a system that really, like many, like astrology brings one relief and validation that, you know, you can change that you can work with that energy and again, transmute it into the positive expression of that. It's a really lovely, really lovely lesson <laughs> to be learned with that system for sure. If I might just, just say a little something about what, what you just shared. I have, I have a lot of people that identify with the strong one energy, the energy of, of one and the Enneagram and I think it's so important to understand that really what that energy is about is an innate understanding of kind of a, what we might call a perfected state of being. Yes. And, and so the energy of one really is in touch. It knows perfected state of being and in human form, 
that's like virtually impossible. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. it's it's part of the deal is not that sense, that perfected sense, a state mm-hmm. of being that, that the soul can experience. And that's not what this body is, our humanity is about. Mm-hmm. But to know that is such a beautiful aspiration. And it, and so I think, you know, with one, with the energy of one, it's like, oh, when we see ourselves being critical in that way, it's like, oh, wait, what am I really wanting to be connected to? And I'm paying attention through my human eyes to the nitpicky imperfections, but yep. there's something greater, something more expansive. And I think, you know, one learns so much by it's a very, it can be a very repressive energy. So is three, they share this and one, one, two, and three all share a kind of repressive energy that if we bring it to our hearts, yes, softens and opens. And from the heart perspective, then you start to see the perspective, the perfected state of everything all the time. Exactly. Thank you for that. Thank you for that reading. That helps <laughs> me a lot. Yeah. Cause you do like, uh, since I brought it into my heart and started sharing and it, and stopped being so hard on myself to make everything reflect in the physical world, how I feel it should be or how I know it can be. That's the thing. And, and reconciling that with, I can only do what, you know, I can do what I'm here to do and I can contribute the way that I can, but it is not you do end up seeing that everything already is perfect just as it is. And that is the relief and the healing I think that I've, I've felt and continue to feel. So thank you. Thank you for that. What are, what are the, some on that note, what are some of the, if you wouldn't mind sharing, what are some of the results that you see from either individuals or your groups from, from working with them? Not results. Like I'm not, not trying to get like, you know, results oriented (laughs) answer from you, but how has this work been rewarding? What I can say is that I think I can't think of a time. I can't think of an exception, but every time I'm able to offer up a different perspective of personality to somebody, it's something like you just experienced those kinds of moments continually happen of, oh my gosh, thank you for that reframe. Um, And again, we're seen. Yes. Yes. We're seen. Exactly. Which is all we really want. I know. (laughs) I feel like a lot of us are, are, can, a lot of our psyche can end up being stuck in, not stuck, but still running, you know, like we said, the same patterns from childhood. And what do children want? We want to be seen. We want to have, you know, our being, beingness reflected back to us and validated. And I feel like that's part of how it, it helps do that. Yeah. Just being seen, being seen. And, and, and then it, it also helps to integrate the energies, those energies that wanted to be seen and it liberates us and opens us up to something else. The other way I hold the Enneagram that I was very much influenced seven or eight years ago as influenced by uh, a couple, David and Catherine Faber, I think is their name in, in Northern California. And Catherine has done a lot of research on the Enneagram. And I just did a, uh, a short thing with them. I haven't stayed connected to their work. But what the thing I took away from it was that she started to notice through her research that everybody seemed to have three 
primary Enneagram types, if you want to call them that, or points, or I, I like to call them like shades or, or energies. Um, and one was more oriented to the head and one, or the mind, as I want to refer to it. One was more oriented to the heart or the emotions, and one was more oriented towards what what's traditionally been called the gut, I just want to call the physical body. Mm-hmm. And that we actually run the gamut in this, what they call tri-type, I'm calling it a triad. We have a triad. And so we have a place that we feel most at home. And that's one of, of the points that lives either in the head, heart, or, or the body, or the mind, the emotions, the physical body. Mm-hmm. And then we have a second. So when the with strategies and the, and the concerns of the first one kind of run their course, then we go to the second. And when those strategies or concerns run their course, then we go to the third. And some people can go really, really fast through those energies. So for instance, I discovered that I really um, have historically lived at three, at the point of three, and then I quickly go to seven, mm-hmm. and then I quickly go to eight. Uh, or it takes me a little longer to go to eight, but I do. And that was a really fascinating thing to watch this pattern. And so this is another thing I invite people into is to not be hampered into this notion that we are one thing. We are actually a full spectrum and we actually have all types. Almost everybody points to that in some way or another, but they don't spend a lot of time working with that. And that's one of the things, um, the group work that I do with the Enneagram is brand new. I'm just doing labs this winter. Um, I haven't, the the cards are a way in to help me working with groups in this work and bring it into our body in a group format. The idea is to learn our orientation, learn our pattern, like what our natural movements have evolved into. And then my personal experience is that as I've over the years started to integrate that, I'm opened up to all all of the types so fluidly and I can watch them dance in me in a way that's really liberating. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's part of the evolution of my perspective of it too, is to not just fit into our type and learn to accept our type. Uh, It's, it's about seeing the patterns of how we move and how we want to evolve and getting more and more inclusive and expansive in ourselves. And we'll still, we still have a unique personality. We still have mm-hmm. a way we'll show up in the world more, more times than not. Yeah. And how freeing to have the full spectrum at, at our availability. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause we really are all one, all the same organism. That's one way to to tap into that for sure. It, there's a similar concept in astrology as well, you know, because we essentially have all of, you know, 12 archetypes. Same with, with tarot. You know, tarot is a book of all of the archetypes present in the universe that are present within us that come up at different times. Speaking of that, I love that you are coming up with cards because it kind of came to me that's a, a way of really tapping into and allowing source, universe, whatever you want to call it, to give you clues or give you direction points when you're working with people instead of having to try and discern just with your awareness or just with your mind what's going on, especially in a group setting. That's That seems to seems like it would bring a really fun element to it and of the moment kind of kind of element to it, like where everyone's energies are at that that time, I would imagine, like that time and space. 
bingo, bingo. And how fun to play with it that way versus like, what type am I, you know, and this like intensity of trying to figure myself out, how fun to just have a little space and say, I'm all of these, what, what's resonating right now? Yeah. Really and like relieve some pressure. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. What I also experienced and even just creating the cards I learned, I mean, I was in an intense learning process um, because, you know, you hold information that you don't even always know you have. And something about having these cards out in space and you can see them and you lay them out in the first lab I did, people were, it was a big mess. because I was just like, <laughs> help me see what I've done here. I just want feedback. But it was so cool to watch people interact and they got excited about having this information. They could start to see the patterns because the cards were like laid out on the table or laid out on the floor. And so their own intuitive wisdom comes through more easily when they're engaging their whole body. We're moving in space. We're looking at these things we can move around. And it's not like, oh, now flip back to page 15, now forward to page 124. You know, we're, we're looking, we can look at the, the spread and mm. see and point and feel into things. Yeah, uh, in that nonlinear way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of wisdom in that. As we're learning right now, we're recording this right in the middle of heavy Pisces season where there is no linear linearity. <laughs> <laughs> where all things are possible at once in the quantum field of potentials. <laughs> I had another interesting question that came up. I was curious from your observation or from your viewpoint or point of view and your perception working with people in groups what are some consistent challenges maybe is the correct word or awakenings that people are happening as we go through this, as we know, greatly transitional space where I feel like we're all like right now, probably for the next year or more, we're in this extremely transitional space. And I was just curious since you are working with groups and holding space for them and witnessing them. Do you have some observation or anything to share as far as like what some consistent challenges and awakenings are that are happening with people? <clears throat> That's a really interesting question. Wow. I love this question. It's very provocative. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let me feel into this for a moment and see what Take comes your time. Up. What comes to my mind immediately is how many people that I've been working with in the last couple of years, there's, um, I've held different groups of, of length over time. And there's one in, group in Seattle in particular I'm thinking of that uh, we've been together for about three years. And what's really interesting to watch is that things that I said or I invited people into in year one and in year two, you know, are coming through in year three hmm. as if they're coming in for the first time. Wow. And so my sense is, you know, People, people that work with astrology like yourself or that are just very energy sensitive will say that the energies on the planet are changing, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the density is decreasing. Uh, our access to a, a higher uh, frequency is easier. It's mm -hmm. easier to access. And I'm witnessing that in people. It's wonderful. It's really cool. And you only kind of get to see that over over periods of time. And it's not to say that there weren't insights in year one and year two, but what's really interesting is that some of the ones that 
that had the potential in year one and year two aren't really happening now until year three. There's something has changing and people sometimes want to credit me and I don't think it has anything to do with me. I think it's, I think it's the change. I think mm-hmm. it's the change we're seeing. I think that having a strong container, which I do provide, um, supports that, but it's, it's our own sovereign, beautiful, powerful selves coming through. And that's what I want to invite people into. And, and that's, that can be really scary. That's another thing I see is just as much as the insights come also comes the resistance. And I think it's really intimidating to consider in all spiritual traditions, you know, the the mystical ones will point to the fact that you like you basically there's a dissolving that happens. There Mm -hmm. is, and that's true in my experience, like what we think ourselves to be really does dissolve. And that's one of the reasons why the Enneagram must be evolutionary. Otherwise we can't evolve. We can't grow because we're fixed. We think we have to stay in place once we've identified ourselves. Mm -hmm. Good point. so, So that's something that I think groups themselves are really supportive in because if you have a container where changes is, is not only is not just encouraged but it's so welcomed mm-hmm. it's it's so much easier yes to make big changes and to be in the dissolution in that container and when you know you're not the only one amen that's the, right. That's, that's the, the main reason I'm doing this podcast is to let everyone know they're not alone in this because we're all going through say, it. <laughs> I was just going to say, and this is so important. These opportunities that you, you and many others like you all over the planet are, are providing are amazing. Um, and I've listened to countless podcasts in my, like, okay, I'm not alone. I'm do- And it's part of the thing that helps us step out. I remember I I mentioned the 2016 election before. I remember one morning in early in 2017, waking up from a nightmare that the thought police were coming. And in in this nightmare, anybody who had evolutionary, provocative thoughts that was moving in the direction of higher consciousness was being singled out and killed. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I remember in the dream, I was like, oh, wait, wait, but there's too many of us. Yes. You can't get us all. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be the majority soon. (laughs) That's right. right. And I think, you know, that's part of that is that ancestral memory of a time when that wasn't true. Yes. I know that I've, I definitely have had regressions and, and feelings like that has happened, um, and had to get energetic work done around that for sure. And I, I agree with you. I think that there is just going back to feeling into this great amount of information that we have, which is essentially what dimensionality is. It's not, it's not like another physical place that we go to, you know, when, when people talk about ascension, it's not this physicality, it's, it's access to more information. And with that information, I agree with you. It's, we have to take care of the vessel. We have to, there's an acclimation period. I've really been feeling that lately. I know a lot of people are, it's this needing to acclimate to these different energies that we are built to hold. We are built to integrate and translate and use them because we are that right. 
but I I feel like yeah, this is a transitional period where we where we are learning to to cope with and to hold that energy. Would you agree with that? Is that what I, you're saying? I agree with you completely. I completely agree. And um, it's one of the things that I suggest to anybody who does group work with me is to please, I don't care who you get it from. It does not have to be me, but get some one-on-one support um, mm-hmm. and really watch, watch where you spend and you intake your energy. It's yeah. so vitally important. And I really believe wholeheartedly that we must participate. We need to be global citizens and at the same time be responsible to our own vessels. Because if we if we lose the integrity of our own vessel, then we're of very little support to anybody else. And if we can't hold a higher vibration, if you will, and that that gets bantied around and means lots of different things to different people. But if we can't hold a place of love, then we'll join people in the the places of of violent discord, you know. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't help anybody. And we're moving past that for sure. If you feel comfortable, um, how are you tending to yourself and caring for yourself as we as we go through these times? That's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really comfortable sharing. Well, it changes. I I uh, I agree with you that we're designed to be able to to hold these higher vibrations, but some of us have older models than others, yes. right? I come from yes. a different generation than you do, mm-hmm. and you know, I really appreciate this perspective that we're, we're born with a vehicle that's exactly right for the time in which we're born. And then we have a responsibility to upgrade, just like we would upgrade a computer on our software. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have to keep doing our, our upgrades. There have been several spiritual teachers that use these technological metaphors and they're beautiful. I, mean, I totally do too. It feels like that we get upgrades to our software and different programs installed Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the matrix showed us that is a yes. great preview of, of what was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really had to shift. I mean, it started back in, in 2012. I had to, I took a three week diet from, I, I disconnected from Facebook. I turned off my email, stopped orienting myself around any project whatsoever. Mm. And it was a dissolution. It really was. But ever since then, I, I have to periodically do these cleanses of how much media can I take? Where am I getting my media from? Where exactly? How am I participating? How am I holding? If I, if I notice myself getting negative or fearful, time to turn it off. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I want to turn my back or close my eyes to hold hard stories. But if I get fearful... I am joining the problem mm-hmm. instead of holding a space for possibility. Exactly. That's, so that's beautiful. Yeah. That's one way I, I do it. The the food I eat, the water I drink, uh, I pay really close attention. Water most especially. I'm actually trying to adjust the, the water right now. What I learn about water, oh my gosh. Yeah. Water holds so much information. Yes. It is a vessel for holding information. And so... Um, being conscious of what information your water is holding is really important. Oh, it's so important. And 
the actually even being afraid of the water can yeah. be a problem, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and we can't all move to the country. So we need to find ways in which we can get the support we need wherever it is that we are. And, and so, you know, finding the best filtration system possible. I once was in a store and was watching a man get really upset that, that he couldn't get he couldn't afford the filter he needed to filter out his water, you know, to, mm, to, yeah. and he was really upset. He was really agitated. And I realized that that fear actually is now going to contribute. Yep. It's when he drinks the water, he's afraid of the water. So I think, you know, get the best filtration system you can access and you can afford. And then what you can do is actually charge your water. Yes. With I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was good. Um, I actually have even a, a quartz crystal that was charged for the most high vibration energy possible. And you're right, every every time like I refill my five gallon dispenser, I, I charge it with, you know, the light of the sun or from my heart or what have you, whatever those good intentions are. Thank you for bringing that up. That's I do the same. I keep, yeah. I keep, I can see it right now. There's a, there's a beautiful rose quartz crystal Aww. sitting in my pitcher of water and taking care of the vessel is, mm -hmm. is really, really key in all of this. And not just, so it's not just good food. It's, it's food prepared with love, water charged with love. Um, not worrying so much about what's poisonous in it focusing more on charging it with what you, with the positivity that you have, because we, just, we don't, we can't all afford always organic. We can't all afford or have access, you know, depending yep. on where you live, you might not even have access Absolutely. Um, to the highest quality food. So how, how can we do our best and then bring in, bring in the rest energetically? Mm -hmm. the, the other thing I want to say that's really important is paying attention to what we need socially that for some of us, a lot of alone time is really healing. Mm -hmm. uh, we all need some amount of that, I would argue and quiet. Uh, and then, but also really nurturing connection. Um, how are you feeding yourself with really loving connection and human presence or presence with plants and animals? Like this relational part of our being needs to be fed and tended to. And I think in times of great stress, a lot of people can tend to like shut the doors and, and protect themselves. And I need to protect my energy and do everything. But there's, there's a self-preservation energy that can override or supersede the need for intimacy, the need for relational connection. Connection. Yeah. Cause connection is how creation keeps expanding. Bingo. And it, this goes right full circle back around to share what you're doing and share your story and whatever way feels comfortable and right and true for you. Do you agree? <laughs> I so agree. I so agree. And that is, that is my mission is to support people to do the work, to live the beauty they are here to live. And, and we need each other. We often need community and support to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, amen. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, this has been a wonderfully enlightening discussion. Thank you so much. I, I feel like we've touched on a lot of great points and we can, of course, do it again in the future as things continue to evolve. 
can, real quick, can you, I, I forgot to ask, are there some good, if people are interested in the Enneagram, what are some good resources for them? Like taking. That's a really tricky question. Just okay. Because I don't, I don't actually have a resource I point people to. Okay. Um, I, it's part of the reason why I felt like I needed to create a resource and it doesn't diss anybody, but they don't resonate with me. So I would have a hard time recommending them. Okay. I, I would say more than anything, follow your heart, follow your body intuition and, and take it all with a grain of salt that there's so much out there. I, I find the quizzes troublesome, mostly because they talk about behaviors. And I think that's not the point of the, of the Enneagram. I think if we only look at our behaviors, we actually aren't it's not super valuable. What I find mm -hmm. most valuable is looking at the causes. What, what was the impetus? Because our reason for doing a behavior is much more informative than the behavior itself. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. I appreciate it. Cause I'm sure that's a question that would come up. You yeah. know, if it were me, I'd be like, how do I get started? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Thank give, you. Give me a call, reach out to it. Right. Exactly. To my website and I'd be happy to share my perspective. Exactly. So how can people get in touch with you online? They can go to creativecatalyst.us. So we are us. We are creative catalysts, all of us, and we all need creative catalysts. So that's where they can reach me. And there's plenty of ways to get connected with me on there. There's also a little free art of being book and a guided meditation you can download on, on the site if you join my mailing list. So there you go. Wonderful. Again, Helen, thank you so much. Be well. And thank you for all of the lovely work you're doing. Thank you. Same to you, Trista. Thank you for being here and making these opportunities possible for all of us. I hope you enjoyed all the wisdom shared here today with Helen. Be sure to visit her website, creativecatalyst.us, to connect and share your story with her. These links can be found in the show notes at tristadedman.com under podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion and are thinking about becoming a supporter of the Liberate Yourself podcast, visit patreon.com slash liberate yourself to find out more about the benefits of becoming a patron and participating in this new form of energetic exchange with me. Thanks for listening. And as always, take care out there.